I want, I want, I want me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. You know you're responsible for what you hear. You know you're responsible for what you hear. Greetings and welcome to Thoughts from Meharry Head, the weekly podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, but mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 41 of Thoughts from Meharry Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to talk about the Bill of Rights and the Incorporation Doctrine. Well, in last week's episode, I explained that the Bill of Rights was never intended to apply to the states, and that the federal courts were never meant to have the power to basically veto state laws in order to protect our rights. But whenever I get into this subject, I immediately get pushback. People say, you're right, Mike, that was what the original Constitution meant, but the 14th Amendment changed all of that. Well, no, it didn't. The 14th Amendment actually has a pretty limited scope. To understand an amendment, we need to do exactly what we do to understand the original Constitution. Look at what the people supporting it said it was supposed to mean, not what some judges milked out of the words decades later. And a fair examination of what the supporters said about the 14th makes it pretty clear it was a narrow amendment. It was intended to ensure recently freed slaves had the basic rights of citizenship. Now, there's a pretty good case to be made that the 14th was never properly ratified. I don't really have time to get into that, and at this point, it's pretty much irrelevant anyway, unless you're a history nerd. Everybody accepts that the 14th is a valid part of the Constitution. But if that's the case, we should at least apply it as it was originally intended. Now, when we carefully examine the arguments during the ratification of the 14th, it becomes clear it was intended to constitutionalize the Civil Rights Act of 1866. This was asserted over and over again in the congressional debates and as supporters presented the amendment to the states. Now, the Civil Rights Act was passed by Congress, and it specifically enumerated the privileges and immunities that were to be protected. These included the right to enter into contracts, to own property, to inherit property, to travel freely, and to access courts. Many believed the act would be overturned once the Democrats returned to power, which they certainly would at some point. There was also fear that federal courts would strike down this act because it infringed on state authority. That's why the Republicans wanted to constitutionalize the act through an amendment so it would be permanent. Senator Lyman Trumbull was the one who guided the 14th Amendment through the Senate. In a speech in Chicago as the amendment was being debated, he clearly and unhesitatingly declared Section 1 of the amendment to be, quote, a reiteration of the rights as set forth in the Civil Rights Bill. Martin Thayer, a Republican from Pennsylvania, declared, it is but incorporating in the Constitution the principle of the Civil Rights Bill, which has lately become law. 
Indiana Senator Henry Smith Lane reaffirmed Trumbull's view, as did several other congressmen addressing their states. West Virginia Representative George Latham said the Civil Rights Bill, which is now law, covers exactly the same ground as the amendment. Howard J. Graham, an advocate of an abolitionist reading of the amendment, said, quote, Virtually every speech in the debates on the amendment, Republican and Democrat alike, said or agreed that the amendment was designed to embody or incorporate the Civil Rights Act. Now, people arguing that the 14th Amendment applied the Bill of Rights to the states primarily rely on Representative John Bingham, the principal framer of the amendment. But as one historian put it, Bingham is one who used ringing rhetoric as a substitute for rational analysis. His statements surrounding the 14th Amendment certainly bear this out. On one hand, he did sometimes argue that the Bill of Rights should be enforced on the states. On the other hand, he argued against the inclusion of the phrase civil rights and immunities in the 1866 Civil Rights Act, saying it could be interpreted to strip rights from the states. He was afraid the bill would empower the federal government to force his state of Ohio to allow black people to vote. As much as northern states wanted to protect the basic rights of freed slaves, they certainly did not want to give up sovereignty of their own state and their own power. Bingham himself conceded this point. He said, the care of the property, liberty, and life of the citizen under the solemn sanction of an oath imposed by your federal constitution is in the states, not in the federal government. I have sought to effect no change in that respect in the constitution of the country. Now, while Bingham was an important figure in framing the 14th Amendment, his opinion, even if you can figure out what exactly it was, doesn't define the meaning of the amendment. As Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter wrote, Remarks of a particular proponent of the amendment, no matter how influential, are not to be deemed part of the amendment. What was substituted for ratification was his proposal, not his speech. So, whatever you may glean from Bingham's confused commentary, the intent of the Congress is still clear. Constitutionalize the Civil Rights Act of 1866. Senator Jacob Howard was another figure responsible for bringing the Bill of Rights into the discussion. As the spokesperson for the Joint Committee that drafted the 14th Amendment, Howard introduced it to the full Senate in a speech. He mentioned the Bill of Rights in a single sentence after he read the privileges and immunities that are listed in a Supreme Court case known as Corfield, which mirrored the privileges and immunities that are listed out in that Civil Rights Act. He said, to this should be added the personal rights guaranteed and secured by the first eight amendments. Now, it's important to remember that Howard was not supposed to be the one introducing the amendment. The committee chairman, who was supposed to do it, was sick, so Howard filled in at the last minute. There's every indication that he went off script. You also have to consider that Howard was one of the most radical Republicans in the Senate. He was not representative of the majority point of view. Howard's statement was brushed aside as the debates went on. Even Howard later backed off it, agreeing with everybody that the goal was to legitimize the Civil Rights Act of 1866. It's also important to note that no mention was ever made of applying the Bill of Rights to the states when the bill was introduced in the House of Representatives. Horace Flack is a supporter of the incorporation doctrine, and he did a thorough analysis of the speeches concerning popular discussion of the 14th Amendment. He wrote, The general opinion held in the North was that the amendment embodied the Civil Rights Act. There does not seem to have been any statement at all as to whether the first eight amendments were to be made applicable to the states or not. In fact, had this been the understanding, the Northern people would have rejected this amendment. 
Now, some people will say, well, yeah, they said that, but they really didn't mean it. They actually meant to change the structure of the U.S. and give the federal courts all of this power. But this doesn't stand up to scrutiny either. Historian and constitutional scholar Raoul Berger wrote the definitive book on the 14th Amendment. I'll link to that in the show notes. He summed it up like this. If there was a concealed intention to go beyond the Civil Rights Act, it was not ratified because, first, ratification requires disclosure of material facts, whereas there was no disclosure that the amendment was meant to uproot, for example, traditional state judicial procedures and practices. And second, a surrender of recognized rights may not be presumed but must be proved. So it's pretty clear the 14th Amendment has been expanded far beyond its intent. If you are going to rely on a bogus court interpretation to support the Liberty Enforcement Squad, then you are forced to accept every other bogus, unconstitutional expansion of power the court has ever concocted, because it all comes from the same place. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from a Hairy Head. We're another 10 minutes closer to freedom. I really appreciate you listening. If you enjoyed the show, please do me a favor, spread the word. Head over to iTunes and make sure you subscribe to the podcast for free there. And you're welcome to send me any thoughts or ideas to michael.mahary at 10thamendmentcenter.com. Thanks again for listening.